Hello and welcome to the Answering Calvinism podcast. My name is Jordan Hatfield um, and I'm with uh, Great Light Studios. If you want to find more about who we are and what we do, you can go to greatlightstudios.com. We are primarily a filmmaking ministry, but uh, along with that, uh, we also feel a call to produce uh, a variety of teaching videos and and, uh, podcasts and and just a variety of teaching resources to equip the body of Christ. And, And so my purpose with the Answering Calvinism podcast is is basically this is something that a uh, subject that the Lord has really gripped my heart with um, over the past seven years or so. Uh, it kind of began with, I think, me uh, wrestling with Romans 9 and um, coming to that passage and, and not really knowing how to handle it, seeing, seeing things and knowing uh, some of the, the Calvinistic interpretations that are out there, but, but just uh, in, in my heart, just thinking that, that, that there's just something off about that interpretation and it just seemed like there's more to it. Um, and, and uh, the Lord was gracious enough to, you know, eventually he, he allowed me to see more of what um, I believe Romans 9 is actually getting at. And, and I came to, to see more and more that I think so many of the, the proof texts that are used by Calvinism, uh, like Romans 9 or Ephesians 1 um, and other places like that, um, there are much, uh, I would say, better interpretations um, than what Calvinism offers. Um, and so ultimately, I think for me, one of the biggest things that uh, this all comes down to, that Calvinism comes down to, I think, is what I've found more and more as I had many, many discussions with many, many different Calvinists is is a, a basic misunderstanding of, of a handful of, of uh, important essential things, uh, one of which is the nature of faith. Uh, it, I feel like Calvinism really stands on a foundation of a, a basic misunderstanding of the nature of faith. Um, and and uh, basically, I believe Calvinism defines faith as a meritorious righteous work. Um, and and uh, there's a lot more that can be said about that, but but I think that's that's one of the primary uh, misunderstandings that I think Calvinism rests on. Um, another one that I want to talk about today that I that really has been the biggest uh, and, and most glaring issue to me with with Calvinism um, that I think it, the whole uh, the whole. Uh, system rests on is is a misunderstanding really of union with Christ and unity with Christ and what is what it what it means to be in Christ and what I found more and more in conversations with with Calvinists and listening to to many different Calvinist teachers um, uh, I've found that there's there's a a misunderstanding that comes uh, and produces uh, so much of, of the uh, understanding that Calvinism brings. And it, it comes forth, I think, so much of it from a basic misunderstanding of union with Christ and what, what it means that, you know, in Colossians 2, where God says he's put all of his fullness in Christ, and Ephesians 1, where he says every spiritual blessing has been given to us in Christ. And so for anybody listening, um, I, I do always want to point out as I have these discussions that I 
am uh, not interested in destroying a person um, or uh, attacking individuals or slandering or uh, misrepresenting. I don't want to misrepresent individuals or Calvinism as a whole. Um, I, I, the past several years have been greatly um, uh, influenced and, and taught a lot of things by, by people like John Piper and, and uh, even teachers like uh, Jeff Durbin, if, if you know of him. Um, many who are very uh, uh, energetically Calvinistic in their, their preaching and teaching, but I see them as brothers and I see them as, as uh, men, followers of Jesus who I can uh, get a lot of wisdom from and I can learn a lot of things from and they have understanding in certain areas that, that I don't have and uh, they have ministries that I so appreciate and not only do I uh, uh, reap the benefits of their ministries, but I know so many others do. And so, so I say that to say that I'm, I'm not a Calvinist hater. Um, I, I love them as brothers. I just simply have a, a uh, big disagreement. I have a serious disagreement with how they interpret God's sovereignty and salvation and what that looks like. Um, I have a, a great disagreement with how they interpret Many passages like Romans nine and Ephesians one and, and uh, Acts thirteen and places like that, where I feel like they they just kind of miss the point and and it results ultimately in a distorted understanding really of of the nature of God and and what He's like, how He really feels about uh, not just the elect but but humanity as a whole, and and I think it gives us a. a a slightly distorted view ultimately of God's love. And so, so, um, if you want to watch uh, video versions of this, I, I have um, I I am putting video versions of these podcasts on on the Great Light Studios YouTube channel, and along with that, you can also find different videos that won't be in the podcast form, um, where where I go a little bit more into a, a study format. I have the scriptures pulled up on screen and taking notes on stuff, and and so all all that uh, that content is available at uh, GreatLightStudios.com or um, on the Great Light Studios YouTube page, and so uh, you can you can find that stuff there. So today I want to <clears throat> so today I want to focus really on Ephesians one, and uh, and what I really want to do is to uh, explain what to me has has been and continues in increasingly is the 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 most uh, uh, convincing proof to me that that Calvinism just cannot be true. And, and to me, I believe if you get a uh, proper understanding of Ephesians 1, if you really understand what, what Paul's getting across here, and when you really, what it all comes down to, I think, is when you begin to set your gaze on what Paul's gaze is on in Ephesians 1, which is Jesus Christ and, and union with Christ, and I think the words in Christ or in him is he uses that that phrase or a form of that phrase uh, about 11 or 12 times, I think, in the first uh, 10, 10 to 14 verses, somewhere around there. But he uses that a lot. And so, so I think that's a major key, obviously, in understanding what he's talking about. And it's a major key in understanding this idea of, of election and being chosen by God, being predestined and understanding what that means, how that works, how, what, what it looks like. Uh, for God, um, how he how he does that, and, and what God looks like as he does that. Um, and so, so I'm going to jump in. And uh, and we'll we'll kind of see what Paul says here. 
So in Ephesians 1, um, verse 1, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So right off the bat, we see that who Paul is writing to, the audience he has in mind, uh, is those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. So he, he's talking to a people who, who are in relationship, in a living relationship, a living uh, faith-rooted uh, faith connection to the person of Jesus. They are in him. They've been baptized into him. And so these are the people he's talking to. And then he goes on in verse 3, and he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then he says in verse 4, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. So I want to focus in on, on verse 3, because I think verse 3 is the foundation, and really, obviously, it's the starting point. It's where Paul begins this whole dialogue about, about spiritual blessings, and he goes on to describe what, what believers have in Christ. But, he's, but what he says here at the beginning is uh, very interesting and very significant. He says that the Godfather of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. So imagine for a minute um, that I draw a circle. I draw a circle and inside that circle represents in Christ. Everything inside of that circle uh, represents uh, union with Christ. It's, it represents being in him. So what, what this verse says here is that every spiritual blessing, everything God has to give to a person, where has he put that? Ephesians 1.3 says he's put everything, everything God has to give, he's placed that inside of that circle. He's placed it inside of Christ, in his son, right? So he's placed every spiritual blessing in the, the spiritual location, um, if you want to put it that way. Uh, Jesus is not just a person, but, but um, he is a, a location in the spiritual, spiritual uh, scheme of things. And so God has put every spiritual blessing inside of that circle, inside of Christ, and he's reserved every spiritual blessing for those inside of Christ, right? So, so think about this. If every spiritual blessing is in Christ, is inside that circle, then what spiritual blessings are outside of that circle? There's none, right? Every, the word every spiritual blessing excludes the possibility of, of there being spiritual blessings outside of it. So every single thing God has to give is inside that circle, which means that there's nothing that God has to give to anybody outside of that circle. The condition of having blessing from God is conditioned on Jesus, is conditioned on relationship with Jesus, right? And that's what Jesus says in, in the Gospel of John. He says, nobody comes to the Father except through me. So if you want to get anything that the Father has to give you, well, what's the location God has given us to get that? It's not outside of Christ. God has nothing to give to us outside of Christ. In order to get to the Father, we have to come through the Son. If you want to get the blessings, the favor, the promises of God, the covenant uh, relationship with God, you have to come through the Son. You have to be in the Son because every spiritual blessing is in Christ. This is a, a super simple concept, really, when you stop and, and think about it, 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 up front, it might sound a little bit confusing and um, uh, uh, high-minded or something like that, but, uh, but really, it's simple. It's simple 
And it's so important. And it, 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 this goes, I think, to the root uh, of, of believers walk with, with God and, and how they think about their walk with God. I think this is such an important concept to be rooted and grounded in and established in. Um, and so again, imagine that circle. That circle is Christ, right? In him is every spiritual blessing. Outside of him, there's no spiritual blessing. So let's go on. I think what Paul does next is that he begins to describe some of these spiritual blessings that are in Christ. He begins to explain and go into more detail about what some of these uh, spiritual blessings actually are. And so, so I'm going to... I'm going to start reading and then I'll stop when I get to a spiritual blessing. So again, he says, every spiritual blessing has been given to us in Christ. And verse four says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And so I think right here, we're seeing the first blessing, spiritual blessing that is being listed that is contained within the location of Christ. And that blessing is being chosen uh, right, and, and he says clearly in verse four, he says he chose us in him uh, before the foundation of the world. I think this is a place where a lot of people get thrown off because the the central focus uh, gets put on the words "chose us" and gets put on the words "before the foundation of the world," and the phrase "in him." Uh, uh, gets kind of pushed to the side or is made an afterthought uh, and is given little attention in, in exegeting what this is actually communicating. Um, it, it's almost as if uh, it, uh, many people think, and I think uh, I would say many Calvinist people that I have talked to, when I get their understanding of this passage, uh, what I get from them really is that the phrase in him is just kind of a fancy little spiritual uh, a phrase that Paul just kind of tags on there because it sounds nice, but but it, it, whatever meaning it has, it, it's it it's kind of insignificant or, or there's no real clarity about what he's even meaning. Um, but I don't I don't think that's that's the way we should interpret that. I think there's a very clear meaning of what what's being communicated here. So so really, what we have to ask is, what does it mean to be in Him? We're seeing we're seeing Paul say that in Christ. Uh, we have every spiritual blessing, and now he's saying that God chose us before the foundation of the world in him. So, so I think first, before we understand this, we need to ask, what does it mean to be in him? Uh, what does it mean? And then how? How do we get in him? Um, and so, so to answer that, I want to jump ahead a little bit to Ephesians 1.13, and there's many other places where we could answer that these questions, but I think uh, this this being in the same chapter is a good place to go. So uh, Ephesians 1.13, it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So, so Paul says that for people that are, right, imagine that circle again, for people that are outside that circle, in order to get into that circle, uh, it, you have to believe, right? There's the word of truth, the gospel that comes, and we believe. And when we believe, it says God seals us with the promised Holy Spirit. That word seal uh, gives the idea of a stamp, like a stamp of approval. So we get the stamp, really, of God's ownership. It's, it's, it's when we believe we receive the gospel that God then stamps us and says, this one is mine. He puts his stamp on us, a stamp of ownership, a stamp of approval, the mark of the Holy Spirit, which says that this one is mine. Mine, he belongs to me. And so, again, consider the fact that this happens 
at the point of believing in the gospel. It happens at the point of, of belief, and it is at that point that a person is put into Christ. First Corinthians will say, because of him, right? Because of God, it says we are in Christ Jesus. So the fact that we believe and respond by faith to the gospel, that's not us picking ourselves up and placing us in Christ. Our belief is not it's not regenerating us. It's not producing spiritual life in us. Faith is just faith. It's, it's described, really, the Bible uh, describes faith as something that is synonymous with doing nothing, right? If you're, if you're simply believing God, you're not working. You're not placing yourself in Christ. You're not, you're not regenerating yourself. To believe is equivalent in the Bible to doing nothing. It's equivalent to not working, uh, Romans 4 will describe that and explain that clearly. Um, and so Ephesians 1.13, if you look at the uh, NIV, that, that uh, translation I just read was from the ESV, but the NIV says it a little different way, and I think it um, makes it even more clear. So Ephesians 1.13, it says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So again, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth and believed. So again, we're answering the question. We have this circle. We want to know how to get in. We, need, we want to know when people get in, how they get in. And Ephesians 1.13 is answering that. It's saying we're included in that circle. We're placed into that circle. Uh, we're put in union with Christ. We come into a relationship with him at the point that we hear the message of truth, the gospel, and we believe it. And at that point, God places us in Christ. We're now in Christ. We're now in Him. We're now included. Uh, we're included with Christ. So think about this. For those people outside of that circle, what spiritual blessings can they get? What spiritual blessings are there to have from God outside of Christ? Does God look upon individuals and, and look upon individuals who are outside of Christ and dispense to them or grant to them any sort of uh, salvific or, or redemptional grace or favor or, or enter into any special relationship with people who are not yet in union with Christ. Does he do that? Well, I think Ephesians 1 makes it clear that he does not, because it's, uh, the, the condition upon which uh, we, we have to— we, the condition of, of getting uh, favor and, and uh, grace and relationship from the Father, it's conditioned upon being in the Son, right? Again, nobody comes to the Father except through me. Uh, that's, I think you could also say nobody gets spiritual blessing from the Father except through Jesus. So here's why I'm talking about all this, and here's how this all relates to the, uh, the, the topic of Calvinism, is that Calvinism, really what it does is portrays an idea that for those that are outside of that circle who are not yet included in, in Christ, who are not yet in relationship with Christ, who, who have no uh, connection to Jesus, no relationship, no fellowship with him, they have no union with Jesus. Uh, Calvinism would, would uh, communicate that at that point in time, for people who are outside of that circle, God looks on them. He gives favor to them. He enters into a special, uh, salvific, really, relationship with them. He says, you are mine, and you, you are destined for salvation and, and, and uh, eternal life and every, everything that I have to give, you are destined for that. Um, so here's the issue with that. 
is that really that is saying that God has spiritual blessing that he's given to the, the, the Calvinistic idea of the elect, that God has given spiritual blessing to the elect outside of Christ or before Christ, that before the point in time that believers uh, actually you know, hear the message of truth, the gospel of their salvation, and believe and become included in Christ, before that point in time, while they're still outside that circle, Calvinism would convey the idea that God grants to individuals special favor and relationship. And really, he gives to people uh, uh, elements of reconciliation and elements of mediation with himself, that there's a special relationship that the Father enters into people, enters into with uh, the elect apart from or before the Son. And so you'll hear uh, popular Calvinist teachers speaking of it in terms of that God looks on individuals, the elect, and he says, I choose this one, and I choose this one really to eventually be saved in Christ. And so, so what the Calvinists will communicate is that God chooses us to be in Christ eventually. I hope that makes sense. And I hope you hear the difference between what that is and what Ephesians 1 actually says. So I'll say that again. A Calvinism communicates that God chooses individuals to eventually be in Christ, to, to someday get into Christ. So first comes the choice, right? First comes God's choice of a person, and later on comes union with Christ. So I, I can't think of any other way but to see that as, as God dispensing spiritual blessing to a person separate from and before, independently from the Son, or, or God gives spiritual blessing outside of Christ. But if we look back in Ephesians 1.3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. So again, going back to what we said before, if every spiritual blessing is in Christ, then how is it that Calvinism is communicating that there's really the most ultimate, the, the most foundational, the most important uh, uh, spiritual blessing that we can imagine or could ever hope for is, is the spiritual blessing of election. And Calvinism would communicate that we received that blessing, we got it, God bestowed that blessing of being chosen and elect before we had any relationship or connection to the Son. So what we have here, again, one way to look at it is we have the Father giving special attention, special blessing, and again, uh, elements of mediation and reconciliation are being bestowed upon individuals who have no connection to Jesus. So this is favor from the Father before the Son. This is people getting to the Father, not through Christ, but before Christ. Ephesians 1 is communicating that it is those who are already in Christ who then subsequently get the blessings from God. You can't first get favor from God, and then later on, you get connected to Jesus. Jesus is God's favor, right? Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. There's no other way. He is the door, right? He's the doorway. How, how, can, you, how can you be outside that door and have the Father out there with you saying, I choose you, I love you. you, you are mine, you belong to me, and you are destined for every blessing, every spiritual blessing that you can ever think of, that you can ever imagine, eternal life, uh, and sanctification, redemption. These are all yours, really, they belong to you, uh, and, and later on you're going to get them when you get connected to Jesus. So, 
this, if you draw this out on a timeline, really what you have is you have first is blessing and favor from the Father. There's no other way to look at it in my mind that I can see other than seeing that first comes some, some mysterious form of mediation and reconciliation with the Father. And then later on, we, we get Christ. So first favor with the Father, second Jesus. And, and to me, this uh, is, is nothing more than communicating a, uh, a salvation that, that, that is, um, that's not entirely Jesus. It's, it's not Jesus being all in all to us. It's not Jesus being everything. Really, in this scheme of things, Jesus has, has now become simply one step of salvation. He's become uh, uh, really just, uh, one, one person put it in, in a, a rather blunt way, but, but I can see his point where he says that Jesus has, has sort of become a divine uh, errand boy who who really you have God having these elect people, his favored ones, uh, again, separate from Christ before union with Christ. They're not in him yet, but they have this uh, mysterious favor from God. And, and later on, Jesus will be, is sent to finish out that salvation that's already began, right? That, that salvation, that initial uh, f- foundation of salvation that happened in election, Jesus will, will finish that out later. But, but that's, not, that's not the way the Bible describes salvation in Christ. The Bible says that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, right? Uh, in Colossians, it says he is the beginning. He is the beginning. And I know that's, that's relating to him being the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. But I think uh, it applies to this, that Jesus is the first. He's the first and the last, right? So, so I think Calvinism... Uh, unavoidably and, and and not on purpose, they do it in sincerity. And, and I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Again, I'm, I want to, I want to stress that I'm not trying to attack or, or to accuse of of heresy or anything like that. I'm just, I'm just saying that this to me is an important issue, and, and this, this to me, I, I have yet to find a solid biblical uh, response to this issue, that you have, you have first favor from the Father. Second, you have connection to the Son. This, this to me is nothing more than, than God giving us spiritual blessing, not in Christ, but before Christ. Okay, so, so Ephesians 1.3, it says that God is, again, He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. I think that that little phrase there, before the foundation of the world, is what really throws most people off with this passage. And and again, I think what it does is causes people to focus more on before the foundation of the world, give that more preeminence in understanding this verse than is given to the phrase in him. So really, the focus becomes on things rather than on Jesus. And so, so let's, let's look at this and let's see if we can figure out what, what does it mean before the foundation of the world. So first off, we know that uh, many uh, places say that Jesus, you know, he's the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. There's places where it says uh, uh, people in Christ, that their names have been written in the book of life from, from before the foundation of the world. Uh, uh, I think in Peter, it will say that Jesus was, was uh, 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 kind of communicating that same idea that he, he's the lamb slain right before the foundation of the world. And so I think everybody would be in agreement that 
Jesus wasn't literally crucified before the foundation of the world, you know, before the earth was created, there, there wasn't a point in time in the past, eternity past, when Jesus was literally crucified. And I don't think that's what's trying to be conveyed there. I think what's being conveyed there is that when Jesus came to this earth and he, he did what he did, when he died on the cross, when he perfectly fulfilled the law and he said, it is finished, that action, that accomplishment was an eternal accomplishment, right? It had eternal ramifications for the past, the present, and the future. So what Jesus did, it it didn't just cover or or supply salvation and grace and and redemption for a certain period of time, but as an eternal redemption, it couldn't be any bigger. Uh, it It couldn't be any fuller. And so I think those who enter into Christ, those who become connected to him by faith, those who get Jesus, right? He says, whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. Those who get Jesus, who become identified with Christ, when we get in Christ, God then identifies us with Jesus, right? He no longer looks at us based on our own resume, our own record, but he now places Jesus's resume, Jesus's record on us. And now God views us through the lens of Christ. When God looks at us, he's seeing Jesus. He's not just seeing us. And that's good news. Um, That's good news for me. But what that means is that when we enter into Christ, we enter really into an eternal uh, sphere, if, if you want to put it that way. We, we enter into a, an eternal identity, really, where, where um, because we're in Christ, right, and Jesus is the righteous one, now God looks at us and says, you are righteous. In Christ, you now, I see you as righteous. Um, in and of ourselves, when we get into Christ, we're still we're sinners, right? It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we enter into Christ still sinners, still weak. Um, but God, uh, God calls us what we are not because of Jesus. So even though we in and of ourselves are not righteous, Jesus looks at us and defines us and identifies us as being righteous because he's identifying us in connection and relationship with Jesus because we are in relationship with Jesus. So, so in the same way, uh, uh, later on in Ephesians, we'll, we'll see this concept all throughout the Bible that Jesus is everything, right, for the believer. He's, he, God doesn't give us many things is, is one way that um, one of my favorite authors, Watchman Nee, will communicate. He doesn't give us many things, but he gives us one thing, which is Jesus. And in that one, th- one person, really, he gives us one person. And in that one person, he's given us everything. And really, that's just communicating what Ephesians 1, 3 communicates, that God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. So if you want something from God, look to Jesus, because that is the location in which he has dispensed everything that he has to give us. So Ephesians later will will say that Jesus, he says he himself is our peace. And so again, we enter into, uh, in Christ, enter into union with him without peace. In and of ourselves, we have no peace. And, and apart from Jesus, God doesn't have this thing called peace to give us, but God has a person to give us who, when he gives him to us, when we get Jesus, he becomes peace, right? So God doesn't hand us this separate thing from Jesus called peace, and neither does he hand us this separate thing from Jesus that's called righteousness, but rather what God does is he, he puts peace and he puts righteousness inside of Jesus. And then, and then we become connected to Jesus through faith. And when we become connected to Jesus, now we have peace. Now we have righteousness. But again, those aren't things. It's a person. 
Uh, and that's First Corinthians one uh, thirty, I think, one of my favorite verses where it says, Jesus has become to, to those who believe, he's become to us wisdom from God, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And so again, that's another place where we see that God doesn't give us things, but he gives us Jesus, and, and Jesus becomes all things for us. So that might be a little bit confusing, but, but the reason I say that is because I think that that's one way of looking at this that I think gives us a little bit of clarity about what it means that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So think again, Jesus was the one chosen before the foundation of the world, right? He was, he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Uh, and so he has an eternal identity from the Father, this eternal relationship where God looks at Jesus in a certain way and says, you're my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So when we get in Christ, we get Jesus's identity. We get his resume. God views us in uh, through that lens of Christ because we're in a relationship with him. And so I believe because Jesus has been chosen before the foundation of the world, and, and that's his identity, that, that's, that's, that's who he is, uh, that when we become connected to him, we share with him in that identity. We come to share uh, that identity with Jesus. So, so I know immediately there would be a lot of, uh, of uh, feedback to that thought, and, and there would be a, a lot of people wanting to contradict that. But let me, let me, let's, let's just assume for a minute that that's not the case. Let's, let's, let's take the way Calvinism would read this and see if it produces problems. Um, so let's say that I, as an individual, before Jesus, apart from uh, there being a uh, a condition that I must first be in Christ in order to receive this identity of being chosen before the foundation of the world. Let's assume that first, before relationship with Jesus, God gives that to me, that I have, I have yet to, to be in relationship with Jesus. I have yet to have the Son. I have yet to be in connection with Jesus or to be in Him. That hasn't happened yet. And God looks at me and says, I place on you the identity of being chosen before the foundation of the world. That's the way I look at you. Well, again, what we're running into is this problem is that we have God giving special favor, special privileges, uh, elements of reconciliation and mediation. He's giving those to me, uh, to an individual, separate from, apart from, before, independently from Christ. And that's just a major issue. Um, and so Paul makes sure to emphasize that everything that we have from God, everything we get from the Father is, is sourced from Jesus, right? He is the vine. We are the branches. What can the branch get? What blessing, what fruit can be, uh, can be uh, experienced by a branch that is not yet connected to the vine? Uh, there's a truck going by. Um, how how can a, a a an individual who does not yet have Jesus somehow experience this special favor and reconciliation and mediation with the Father before they have Jesus? I think the way a, a Calvinist would interpret it is that God has Jesus in mind, right? That he he's not doing it without Jesus. He's not doing it um, apart from Jesus because God has a plan to to take his elect person and eventually connect him to Jesus. But still, that doesn't solve the problem. Obviously, you can say that God has Jesus in his mind, right? He's going to utilize Jesus to accomplish this work uh, ultimately and to finish it out. Uh, this work that he's, he's 
plan and for his elect and his chosen. But the issue again is that that still places spiritual blessing and favor on a person prior to Jesus. It's still favor from the Father apart from the Son. It's a special favor that God gives that isn't Jesus himself that we get without Jesus and before him. And I feel like that's that's an issue that um, to me needs needs a legitimate answer. I've put this in front of uh, many people. I've, I've, I'm actually in dialogue with uh, some of the guys at Apologia Studios. I don't if you're familiar with them, um, guys like Jeff Durbin, and uh, I've been communicating with uh, Pastor Luke from Apologia. I've, I sent him a message, and I, I know he gets. Uh, he told me he gets hundreds of messages like these, uh, or, so, or maybe he didn't say a hundred, but I'm sure he gets a lot of messages like this. And so I, I understand that it's hard for them to communicate with a, a small little fellow like me who's insignificant and doesn't really have a voice. But I, I have been trying to press him to give me an answer to this, and I've put this before many Calvinist, kind of embarrassingly, in, in many different uh, Calvinist versus Arminian uh, uh, Facebook groups and stuff like that that I have gone into. And I, I, what I really have wanted to do is just to put this this concept before people, before those who have the Calvinistic perspective, and just see what kind of response there is. And, and I, I just really haven't ever been given a solution. I will say that honestly, a lot of the times what happens is I'll put this before people, I'll get a few responses uh, where 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 uh, ultimately uh, most of the time it ends in uh, people ending the conversation without ever giving me an answer. Um, I'm accused of just simply not understanding uh, Calvinistic soteriology, which granted I could have a better understanding, but I think I know it well enough to understand that this is an issue in Ephesians 1. Um, and then a lot of times I'm just, I'm called names and then I'm, you know, the other day, I posted this and a person just posted a comment and said something about how I'm ignorant and then blocked me and, and deleted the conversation. And so, so I say that not out of bitterness. I just say like, it, it's, it's, uh, it's been revealing to me that, that there's something solid here. There's, there's something significant here about, about when we begin to focus on what Paul is focused on, not only in Ephesians, but in every epistle, this idea of union with Christ and relationship with him. And, and when we begin to focus on that, and that becomes the starting point of us trying to, to unpack uh, election and, and these ideas of being chosen and predestination, because Colossians 2 will say that um, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge have been hidden in Christ. Um, actually, let me, let me find that. Um, that's uh, Colossians 2, uh, 2 through 3. It says, uh, it, um, well, actually, I'll start in verse 1. He says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so there's got to be a central focus, a, a fixed gaze on in Christ to be able to accurately unpack these concepts of election predestination. There's a mystery. There's a there's a mystery to this this idea that God has chosen certain individuals and predestined them and elected them. There's a mystery behind that, and that's why there's been a debate about it for 
uh, you know, a couple thousand years because there's a mystery to it. But what Paul just revealed to us in Colossians 2 is that that mystery, every mystery that God has is found, discovered, unpacked, and understood in Christ, not outside of him, not before him, not apart from him, but in him. And so I think that that brings us back to why uh, this, this to me is a, a significant issue in Ephesians 1 is because, again, we have God saying that every spiritual blessing he's given that he's placed those inside of that circle inside of Christ. Calvinism would somehow want to convey the idea that, no, while we are still yet outside of that circle, we receive from the Father this spiritual blessing of election and being chosen. And, and he chose us to eventually, yes, to eventually get in that circle, but it was prior to being in that circle. And so that is a spiritual blessing that is not in Christ, but is outside of Christ. And so so I would just challenge you to think about these things uh, Honestly, consider them. If, if you're listening to this and you're from a uh, different perspective, feel, feel totally free to email me, uh, message us on our Facebook page, Great Light Studios Facebook page. Uh, you can contact me at uh, uh, contact at greatlightstudios.com. Um, again, that's contact at greatlightstudios.com. I, I would love to hear from you and, and you can uh, tell me I'm completely wrong and completely off and I will. I promise you I'll hear you out and, and I'm not into uh, one of the most frustrating things to me about uh, getting into those Facebook groups and it's, it's kind of silly, like what do I expect? It's a Facebook group. But, but there's so much hatred and meanness and bitterness and, and a lot of it was from non-Calvinists that really I would say that the people I was getting most frustrated with in those groups is non-Calvinists just being so uh, hateful and, and vengeful and and just uh, slanderous and, and trying to get under people's skin and, and really it just kind of made me there's a point where I was in one of them just, just kind of make, making me feel sick to my stomach just just grieved like deeply truly grieved in the spirit um, because ultimately if, if I can't do this podcast and have love, the Bible's very clear. I'm accomplishing nothing. I'm speaking empty words. I might as well be, be screaming gibberish or, or banging a cymbal um, that has no real sound or tune to it. I, I'm accomplishing nothing. And so above anything else, my prayer and hope is to have love. I, I want to have love for uh, my brothers and sisters who hold different views than I do and, and, and who, who don't see Ephesians 1 the same way as I am. I, I'm not bringing this up to attack you and say that you're dumb because you've missed it. Like this, Peter says some of the things Paul writes are hard to understand. So it's okay uh, that, that we sometimes miss things. I know that there's uh, you know elements of understanding that, that many Calvinists have that, that I don't have. And, and there's places where, where I'm willing to say that I'm probably off and I, I uh, I need more, you know, I need to, God will probably adjust me more in the future. And, um, I think that's true of all of us in some way as he grows us. But I feel like the, the point I brought up, the point I've discussed today, uh, really, I would say this is, this is right now anyways, is the most, um, uh, important and, uh, challenging, um, uh, issue for Calvinism and, and one of the biggest hindrances I see in the Bible to, to why really just in this basic uh, couple scriptures to me just makes the concept of unconditional election just absolutely impossible. 
Um, and, and, and ultimately, I think it, it's a detraction from, a distraction from, a minimizing of the person of Jesus and his supremacy in salvation, his supremacy in the doctrine of election and predestination and, and God's choice of individuals. Jesus is the mystery behind those things. And uh, so again, I would put this before you who are maybe non-Calvinists and say, think about this. I hope this is encouraging and helpful and, and maybe brings a little light on what Ephesians 1, uh, 3-4 is talking about. Um, and for non-Calvinists, I hope you would, again, that you would just think about this and consider it and at least hear me out on, on these things. Um, and uh, again, you can go to greatlightstudios.com for... Uh, uh, find all the resources that we're putting out. You can go to our YouTube channel to find more videos. You can, again, like I said at the beginning, we are primarily uh, a filmmaking ministry. And so we make films that are aimed at preaching the gospel and proclaiming Jesus through storytelling in a powerful way. And so you can also check those out on our website or at uh, uh, the Great Life Studios YouTube page. So uh, thank you for listening. And uh, I will be continuing this podcast to deal with uh, many other scriptures and, and diving deeper into this subject. Mm-hmm.